0: Well, keep those Bibles open, uh, and please pray with me as we engage with God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In Christ's name, Amen. I wonder if you ever have the urge to improve things. Uh, I normally don't. I'm not that inspired. Uh, but my wife, Nissa, she's a real fixer-upper. Uh, she loves fixing up uh, second-hand furniture. Uh, there have been many times we've been out driving, uh, and suddenly I hear this command, stop! And I'm like, oh, wait, okay, what, what's going on? And she says, go back that way. And we go, uh, and then on the side of the road is something that I see uh, as a big hunk of junk um, that someone's tossed away, but... Uh, my wife, no, she has just vision. She doesn't see it for what uh, it is. She sees it for what it could be. And so uh, we take, you know, we lift it up, we haul it in the car, uh, we get home, and she starts working on it. Uh, she she sands it, she takes pieces off, puts pieces on, uh, gives things a new coat of paint, and suddenly, voila, whoa, this whole new piece of furniture um, is very exciting. It's a great gift that she has, uh, which I do not. Um, now, I'm sure that we can all... Uh, look at things that we would like to improve or seek to improve. Maybe it's our health or our fitness. Uh, maybe it's in our hobbies. Uh, perhaps it's improving the quality of our work or improving the quality of others' work. Maybe it's improving our gardens or improving our relationships. And sometimes these works, uh, the things that we're seeking to improve, are works of creative inspiration. And other times these improvements are just plain and necessary. So we're often looking to make improvements to different areas of our life. Uh, But there are times where it is perhaps not wise to try and make improvements. Uh, For instance, you might not have the skills or knowledge to improve the thing. Uh, There was a case in Spain in the news uh, where there was a fresco of Jesus uh, and an over-eager church member attempted to restore said fresco and we can see that perhaps she did not have the necessary skills to improve. Mm, Yes. Uh, Or, for instance, uh, it may be that it's not your place to actually add to the thing. Uh, I remember seeing uh, the Mona Lisa, what a beautiful painting, it captured me. It's a masterpiece by Leonardo da Vinci. But imagine if someone, you know, uh, a very eager artist came in the middle of the night, uh, added some trees and some birds and a sun. I mean, how would that look? Even if they were really talented? You wouldn't do it. You'd You'd be ruining the thing what a talented artist. Uh, this morning's quite well, this, this evening's question, I should say, is, is there anything to improve in the Christian faith? Is what we get in Christ enough? Are there bits that you would add? Now, I know, or immediately we'd all say, well, no, there's nothing we can add. Of course not. But there may be times where maybe we wish things were a little bit different. You might say, well, God, I wish you'd made things a little bit easier. I wish you'd Said this and you hadn't said that, or uh, perhaps if you'd given us, you know, God, could you just give us a little bit more to make uh, our faith uh, easier, to make things better? Is Christ enough? Is there room for improvement? That's what we're looking at. And if there is no room for improvement, then why not? So we're spending our time uh, in Colossians, and you would have heard last week that the Colossians needed to stand their ground in Christ above all else. Uh, Paul's point throughout the letter is that Christ is sufficient, that in Him we have everything we need for our forgiveness, for our life, for our salvation, you know, and and that's the positive side of things that Paul was focusing on last week. Uh, But as we saw in this week's passage, uh, we start to get the negative, the things that need to be avoided. Now this is hinted back, uh, that Paul's going to talk about this stuff, it's hinted back all the way back in chapter 2 verse 8, where he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. "...through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ." Paul is saying to them, don't let anyone capture you uh, with claims of spiritual fulfillment or satisfaction outside of Jesus. And he's saying, and, and he's saying this because uh, there were actually ideas that were doing this very thing coming into the church. And Paul, he wants to point out that these practices uh, and these beliefs are they're deceptive they are destructive, and they are threatening the Colossians' reliance on Christ. Uh, we need to remember that uh, the, church in, the church in Colossae, they were a young church, they were only about five years old, they were, and they were a minority in the ancient world, which was very indifferent at this point, if not hostile, uh, to the Christian faith. And as a relatively new church, they were, they were vulnerable... And it appears that uh, some individual or some group had risen up within the church itself and they were peddling new ideas that had come from the outside. Uh, these false teachers, uh, they were trying to impose their beliefs that had been shaped by the outside culture on the other members of the church. They were judging and, tack- and attacking the faith of the rest of the church. And their message, to kind of sum it up, was that the faith of the church was incomplete. They were saying, yes, you got Jesus and that's all well and good... But you haven't quite got everything. There is more. But don't worry, we have the answers. And we don't get a complete rundown of what these folks were trying to add, but we get enough of a picture uh, that their new beliefs seemed to involve a strange blend of Old Testament practices and then local pagan beliefs. They were mixing and matching spiritual beliefs and practices. Uh, it's like when you have a friend and they go over to somewhere, you know, in East Asia, and they come back, And they've taken, you know, the practice of meditation from Buddhism. They're not a Buddhist, but they just like that practice and now they're going to do it. So these Colossians, uh, these false teachers, they've got this kind of hodgepodge spirituality uh, and they're dumping it onto the Christian faith and saying, uh, the Colossians, your faith is incomplete without this stuff. And Paul recognises that this needs to be rejected because this could derail the trust the Colossians have in Christ. So his goal uh, is not so much to... Uh, bring the hammer down on them but to, to warn them and to comfort them he wants them to hold to the truth and to reject the lies they are being told and his message summed up uh, is really this you know this stuff you're hearing it's garbage you have what you need in Christ and I should say as as we reading this passage you might think well some of the stuff these guys are saying doesn 't sound that appealing i don't you know i don't know the last time you attempted to you know celebrate a new moon festival uh, but If we go below the surface, it actually becomes, I think it becomes apparent that we ourselves are susceptible to adding things to Christ. We are are susceptible to taking our eyes off Him and going elsewhere. So, if you've got their outlines there, uh, we're up to uh, point two, where we see that the falsehoods uh, that the Colossians are being told, they all centre around one central lie, that Christ is insufficient, they need something more. And Paul, he then highlights three different ways this lie has been manifesting. Uh, First, we see in verses 16 and 17 uh, that, as Paul says, uh, he says this, he says, uh, "...do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, a celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ." Uh, You might notice that verse 16, it lists a bunch of Old Testament practices. Now, these false teachers, they weren't telling the church they needed to become Jews, uh, but they, the false teachers, they were practicing some of these Old Testament rituals, and they were passing judgment on the Colossians for not doing them, for not participating in them. And Paul says, don't let them judge you for this, because their judgment is not God's. And he explains why this is the case. That these things, these practices, they are shadows which have been brought to fulfilment in Christ, because the practices here they're not actually they're not bad. Uh, they're God given rules and regulations uh, for the people of Israel, for the Old Covenant people of God. They came through the law, and they were good because they at this time because they, they demonstrated how uh, Israel was to uh, live out their faith and and also to remind them of their spiritual needs. But as Paul says, these things they are shadows of the things to come. They were promises, they were pointing to a greater reality or fulfilment, Christ. And the promises they signified of being um, clean or of sacrifice, that's what the new moon and the festivals were referring to, or uh, the Sabbath referring to uh, having a a rest, uh, they had all been fulfilled by Christ in His work. So what was wrong here wasn't... What was wrong here was that the false teachers, they condemned the Colossians... For something that the Colossians actually didn't need to do. They were judging them for no reason. And it was bad because uh, it limited the actual freedom the Colossians had in Christ. Uh, it distorted what Christ had already done. Uh, imagine you've got some, you know, you got some movie tickets, right? And now these entitled you uh, to go see the movie. Um, and and they're it in some way, they're pointing you towards the movie. But then you go and see the movie. And you've got the real thing. So you're not going to go back to the tickets, are you? Uh, but the Colossians, they have the real thing in Jesus. They have the substance. They've been made clean. They have true rest. They have perfect fellowship with God. Now, as I said before, I doubt many of us are actually tempted to go back uh, to these Old Testament rituals. Uh, but I think we should take a warning here that we should uh, be careful to not like the false teachers, uh, to kind of uh, get an arbitrary set of criteria and to condemn others or to judge the faith of others based on this arbitrary criteria. Uh, And it's important that we actually take care in knowing God's Word well for this very reason because false teachers, they can and and do often use the Bible. Uh, These teachers, they were twisting God's Word uh, for their own arbitrary purposes. So we need to know what the Bible actually teaches, how the story of salvation unfolds, the things that we should believe and the things that we shouldn't the things that we should be doing and the things that we shouldn't be doing. And we let God's word set the agenda uh, and not uh, letting our agenda uh, shape what we want to find in God's word. So the second lie that the Colossians were being told was that there existed a greater spiritual authority and experiences in addition to knowing Christ. So in verse 18, uh, we see Paul says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. At this time, there was uh, a strong widespread belief in magical beings and spirits. They were said to have power and they were meant to be present everywhere. And the troublemakers in this church, they were declaring that through these spirits, uh, they were receiving spectacular visions. Uh, They were receiving uh, revelatory experiences. Uh, It was this kind of mysticism that said, okay, in Jesus, you've got the beginner's knowledge, but we have done the advanced course. We've got the special secret knowledge and it's the understanding that you need. And they were using these mystical experiences actually to to prop up their authority. They were self-appointed umpires uh, telling the Colossians, you're doing things the wrong way. And as these, you know, special enlightened ones, they believed that they could disqualify the Colossians' faith. I wonder if you can see how powerful a tool uh, this is. Uh, The Colossians, they, they might start to think, well, I haven't had any, you know, particularly credible experiences. And these guys, maybe they have. So maybe I need to listen to them in case my our faith is defective. And this desire for extraordinary spiritual experiences or uh, extra authority may seem appealing, especially when we're feeling flat in our faith. We might think, if only I had a, a face-to-face conversation with God, or if I had a life-changing vision, then I would have a stronger faith. Uh, but this this desire for special uh, experiences is not just, we know, to see it in the time uh, of the Colossians. Uh, for instance, in the last couple of years, the trend is kind of fading now, uh, but there was a big trend uh, of heaven tourism books. Uh, what I mean by this is there was a whole lot of books written uh, where it was reported that an adult or a child, they'd have a, a near-death experience and they'd spend some time uh, in heaven. They'd relay what they'd seen and talking to God um, and this and that. Uh, and often these books—they they, but often these books they would contradict one another uh, on what heaven was like, or even worse, they'd contradict what the Bible said about heaven and the future. Uh, and just just a side note: uh, our confidence in eternity uh, is not found in somebody's you know subjective near-death experience, but in the objective reality of Christ's resurrection. Uh, but you can see how uh, these books were really popular; uh, they were they were bestsellers. So people were looking for this kind of authority. Or recently, I was conversing with a Christian friend of mine, um, and he told me, he said this to me, he said, uh, you know, you Sydney Anglicans, you're missing, you're missing out on your faith, I don't think you're actually experiencing uh, the Holy Spirit in full, because at our church, our leaders are having, they're having prophetic and visionary experiences, where, you know, we're seeing these things, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so, I don't know if you guys, I don't really think you guys are actually experiencing, you know, the full gospel. But the reality is, I think, as Paul shows us here, is there is no greater authority or experience to be found outside of Christ. And the supposed extraordinary things here, the false teachers were seeing, they were actually total rubbish. Uh, if you look at verse 18, uh, Paul says, "...such a person uh, who also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost the connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Now, These self-appointed umpires, they actually didn't get the rules of the game. There was no substance or value uh, to their engagement with these angelic visions. In fact, they were trying to disqualify the Colossians' faith, but really they were in the danger of the ones of having their faith be disqualified because they were drifting away from their trust in Christ. They were being distracted. And as a body uh, without a head uh, is dead... So their faith would soon be if they kept drifting away from Christ and kept on this path. So, ironically, I guess, uh, these visionary experiences and this desire for them actually showed uh, and revealed they really had an unspiritual mind. Because true growth in our spirituality is found in Christ. Uh, That's why Paul's prayer for the Colossians back in chapter 1 is not that they would go on uh, incredible visionary journeys... But they would be, uh, he says this in verse 9, they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. They would know what God wants. They might live a life worthy and pleasing to the Lord. And later, Paul goes on to say, well, it's in Christ that we have all the hidden knowledge and wisdom of God. And how do we meet Christ? We meet Him in the Scriptures, in His Word. Uh, We don't need extra authority because every time we read from the Scriptures, that is God speaking to us. It is a Word that is always true always relevant and can powerfully change us. There is nothing necessary for life, for godliness and for our salvation that has not been delivered to us by the Word through the Spirit. So we can't improve on the authority of Christ. Finally, the lie that Paul addresses uh, comes in the form of dealing with man-made rules. And it seems at this point, uh, is where the Colossians perhaps struggled the most because they seem to be buying into what the, the false teachers were selling. We pick up in verse 20. Since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why, as though you belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have uh, to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, they are based on merely human commands and teachings. When Paul speaks of uh, elemental spiritual forces, he's talking about uh, the basic principles Uh, of the world. So, for the Colossians, uh, this was the kind of thing where, for instance, they they lived in fear of the spiritual powers, and so they sought to live in harmony with them. And the kind of thing you did to achieve harmony with the spiritual powers uh, was, uh, you could call them ascetic practices. So, asceticism, which means kind of acts of self-denial or punishment. Uh, So, you wouldn't eat certain foods or drink, or for instance, husbands and wives would be told to uh, abstain from sexual relations and it all be framed around this is for the purpose of your spiritual growth. this will make you more spiritual and again, this kind of idea this kind of thing comes again and again through history so uh, in the middle ages, there was a fun group called the flagellants Now these guys they would walk around in the public square of the whips and they would whip themselves bloody uh, for everyone to see and this was they did, they did this um, not for fun, but uh, they did this as a penance for. Uh, any wrongdoing they had done. They did it so there wouldn't be any further judgment from God on them. Or if perhaps you've seen uh, this kind of thing comes in the, you know, the 80s classic Footloose. Uh, you've got the young Kevin Bacon and he's rebelling in a town where dancing has been banned because dancing can lead to, to terrible things. The Colossians seem to be buying, to uh, at risk of buying into these practices of self-denial. And we might think, oh, how how dumb of you to do that? And so we, but it might be, that maybe we do struggle with uh, kind of aesthetic practices of self-denial, uh, but it's very easy for us to come up with our own uh, self-made spirituality or religion uh, to kind of measure ourselves and make ourselves feel good. And if you think about the elemental, what are the elemental spiritual drives of our society? Well, power, pleasure, recognition, self-fulfillment, money, success, comfort, and fear, uh, the need to uh, kind of fully shape yourself as an individual. And I wonder, if we, do we let these drives uh, shape us and do they end up ever filtering into the way we think about our faith? Well, the honest answer, I think, is yes, of course, at times. And, and if I can speak of myself, um, at times I can think, uh, and this is wrong, I can think that I'm spiritually healthy when I have got it all together if I'm going along in a kind of happy way and I'm healthy and I'm comfortable and I've got what I need, basically if I'm just living that middle-class life, um, that somehow that's that's a sign of my uh, spiritual health and and it's twisted and and that's wrong Um, because you can have all of those things and yet my life could still be in total defiance of God. Uh, When when we start focusing in on ourselves and what we are are doing and we take our eyes off Christ, it's very easy to start uh, creating our own measurements by which we measure ourselves. But Paul shows us the problem here, the problem of human solutions to spiritual problems. So from verse 22, these rules which have, been, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. These new teachings that claim to offer so much in terms of spiritual growth, they're a scam. Uh, now, I, I've known a couple of couples, um, a couple of couples, uh, that have had a particular dilemma when they've been trying to sell their house. Uh, their, their place, for instance, their place has, has had structural issues. And uh, what this has done is you can start to see uh, that this is taking place because there are big cracks in, on the walls. Um, So this is a problem, you know, when you're trying to sell your house, Uh, it doesn't look great. So what do you do? Well, I guess you could, uh, on the one hand, you could pay a whole lot of money to fix those structural issues. On the other hand, you could, you know, get some paint, paint over the cracks um, and hope that a building inspection uh, doesn't pick it up. I mean, that's that's somewhat underhanded, obviously. Um, But that's what man-made rules do. They're like a nice white paint. You know, you cover up the problems, you cover up the cracks, it looks fine, uh, but really it doesn't deal with the foundational issues at all. Man-made spirituality, it it won't save you, it won't stop you from sinning, and it won't grow you at all. It'll just distract you from what God actually wants for you. Uh, It's not like a fad diet, really. Uh, It won't make you healthier, it won't help you to lose weight, uh, but it will make you sick. There are no human solutions to spiritual problems. Uh, paul i just gotta clarify this paul isn't saying paul is not saying that god doesn't care about how we live or how we act as we are going to see in next week's passage god cares immensely about how christians live and act out their faith but man-made spirituality cannot help us only christ can deal with the foundational problems of the sinful human heart only through his death uh, is sin atoned for only by being connected to him in faith can we be saved and can we can, and can we be transformed and the good news is that uh, when we trust in Him, Christ actually frees us, as Paul said, from the basic principles of this world. These things no longer have to uh, dictate how we live. Uh, we see that heaven is our true home. And, and, and since we're living for heaven and not just for, our, I guess, our basic um, human desires, uh, that, that, that desire for heaven would actually, and our desire for Christ would shape our priorities, our actions... So there's no improving or what Christ has done for us. Well, the false teaching in Colossae said, you haven't got it all. Christ is insufficient. Paul's point is, if you've got Christ, you've got everything. Uh, Colossians 2, 9-10 says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. And Paul's point here is that just as God dwells fully in Christ... We are, and we are united to Christ, we have full spiritual fullness. Christ is sufficient for our faith. He is enough. There, there is no room for improvement, uh, no shadows, no greater authorities or experiences, no human solutions to spiritual problem. Uh, there is room for improvement in us, sure, uh, but not for the faith to which we hold. So I wonder, do you know that in Christ you have it all? Are you keeping your focus and your vision on him? Are other things distracting you? Have you put your trust in him alone? I'm going to pray now uh, that we would keep Christ as the first thing in our hearts. um, And that we would see and understand that he is at the heart of all that we believe. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have all things. We rejoice that Jesus is our life. He is entirely sufficient for our salvation. For how we are to live in this world and that he is our hope for the future please help us to stay grounded in him to see that he is everything and we are sorry for the times we go astray by seeking to add or find spiritual fullness in other places please help us to not be blinded or to live according to any human constructed spirituality but to live according to your word to be disciplined and to spot the things that might take us away from jesus and all that he has done for us And Lord, we just pray that in all things, always, that we would let Jesus be first in our hearts. Amen.